Lord, thank you so much for the precious gift of your Savior, your Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you that we all here today have the opportunity to come and worship you and to know you because of your great love for us, because of the price that your Son paid on Calvary. The great news is he didn't just die. On the third day, he rose again. And we're so thankful and grateful that we praise and worship a risen and living Savior. So, Lord, we thank you and we praise you and we give you the glory for all that you've done and for all that you will do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look here uh, at the book of Judges, or excuse me, Joshua. The book of Joshua, and um, question, as we look at this series, a transcendent, you know, the question I have for you today is, whose army are you in today? Okay? Whose army are you in today? Now, in fact, if I had another subtitle, I'd put this on there. I'd put, God, uh, will you let me win? Or would you let my team win? When I was growing up uh, as a kid... Um, I, I love sports. I always love sports. Matter of fact, I, I've told my I've told you this before. I would have played uh, professional baseball and professional football. The only thing that kept me from doing that was talent. I mean, I I had the heart and the desire. It's just talent. That's the only thing that kept me out. Um, but nevertheless, uh, you know, I had those dreams, and then reality started setting in. Uh, you know, at, at some point, and um, but I would always pray that. Uh, my team would win. Every, I mean, all the time. I was very faithful to pray that my team would win. Okay, I prayed. Back then, I was a real Dallas Cowboys fan. Now, I just kind of watch them sometimes. You know what I mean? But back then, I loved them. And I remember always praying, God. And sometimes, if they were losing, I'd turn TV off. And I'd get on my knees, and I'd pray, you know, that, um, uh, you know, Roger Staubach would hook up with Billy Joe Dupree or Preston Pearson or Drew Pearson or one of those guys. You know, I'd be praying, God, just help them to come through. And then I'd turn it back on. And, you know, about half the time, they'd actually come back back then. And, uh, and so I, I remember just praying that all the time. And then when I was playing sports, you know, from Little League baseball to football to whatever I was doing, I was like, God, help me to win. God, I want you, I want, please help me to win. And I was always praying that I would win, that my team would win. Now, I don't know about the other little boys on the other side of praying the same thing, saying, God, would you let me win? What about the other little boys who were Washington Redskins fans? And they were praying that they would win, or the New Orleans Saints, or whoever it was that they would win. You know what I mean? And it's kind of funny. We, we do that, and I think it's a great idea. I mean, I was a high school coach, football coach, and I, I think it's a great idea to pray for your team. And I think it's a great idea to pray God's protection. And, and, but ultimately, the prayer that, I, that you know, I wasn't mature enough to understand, I should have been praying, was, God, I want you to be glorified. <laughs> win or lose, I'm going to play to the best of my ability, and God, watch over me, protect me. But I was always praying to win. And a lot of people still kind of play that way today in their faith, in their Christianity. God, help me to win. And it's probably the wrong question. And it's probably why we don't get a good answer. And it's probably why sometimes we get disappointed because we keep saying, God, I want to win. I want my team to win. And we're going to see a great lesson that we learn from Joshua here in just a moment. You know, this transpires around Jericho. And uh, John Walton, uh, Old Testament commentator, says that Jericho 
is the oldest existing city uh, that in existence today. Now, there are scholars that certainly debate with him. Um, but Walter said, hey, I, I think from the archaeology and from all the information we can get, this is the oldest city. So it's, it's been around for a long, long time. And it's been around so even longer than some of us maybe even think or imagine or think about when we think of it in its context. And for Joshua, who's now 70, 75 years old, <clears throat> Joshua remembers Jericho very vividly. If we had time, we'd go back and read, and I, I encourage you to go back and read Numbers chapter 13 and 14. It tells the story of the first time Joshua <clears throat> came upon Jericho, the first time that he entered into the promised land, into Canaan. And Joshua is sent out along with 11 other spies. He and Caleb are two spies that go out from each one of the tribes, and they take off because God has told Moses, send these, send these messengers, send these spies, send these scouts out, and have them survey the land so that you'll know what you're coming up against, so you can see what you'll have, and so you can prepare yourself. I want you to see the blessings you're going to receive, and I want you to see what I'm going to overcome. And so he sends them out, and they cross over the river, and they come through Negveg, and they come over the land, and they come into the hill country, and the first gateway, key city that they come upon would have been Jericho. Now, we know some, uh, some things about Jericho. Uh, we know that uh, there were three walls, actually, about 15 feet of solid walls. There was the initial wall that was made of stone that was somewhere between 12 and 15 foot high. And then there was a second wall that was made of mud and brick that probably went to about 18 feet high. And then the land would slope. And by the way, in that second wall, that's where a lot of the poor lived. That's where Rahab probably lived. That's where those who didn't have any, any money whatsoever, they, were in, uh, they would have been homeless otherwise. This is where they would live. And it was a place they were kind of in the barrier between the rest of the city and the enemy. And so they're in, this, they're in this wall, and then there's another one that was slope, and yet there was another wall, so there were three walls. So they would have looked at there, and they'd go, man, those spies were probably looking at that wall, and they're going, my goodness, how would we ever go over this? I mean, we don't have the equipment. We don't have tanks now. We don't have all these things. Like, well, how would we get through all those walls? And they saw some of the men marching around, and they said, they look like, the Nephilim. They, they look like giants is the word that it means. They look like giants from this distance. The walls are heavily fortified. The men are big. <clears throat> that, that whole city is fortified and they're discouraged at that point. And they come back and they get back to Moses and of course Caleb and Joshua are all for it. Hey, God has already told us this is our land. We, we need to march forward. But the rest of them said, ah, now what they're saying is right. It is really fantastic land. Matter of fact, it flows with milk and honey. And what they mean by milk and honey is there was a lot of land that was pasture land. And they would have seen a lot of goats and a lot of animals uh, that they could receive milk from. So there was a lot of good uh, land there for grazing. And the honey, uh, it may speak about honey from bees, but it's probably talking about the, the, the nectar from the fruit of the vine that was just naturally growing with dates and figs and grapes. I remember when I was a child, I don't know about you, you know, uh, I had this picture Bible, and he had these two men carrying a cluster of grapes. I mean, they're like basketballs on there, you know? And I'm thinking, how do they eat those things anyway? But nevertheless, it was, a, it was just fantastic. But they said, but we can't do this. I mean, those cities are fortified. The men are like giants. We, 
we just we've come here to die. We, we need to go back to Egypt. We need to go back and be slaves. Let's go back to Egypt. And this is after God has, as a matter of fact, if you continue to read, it, it says that uh, if you read through Joshua, excuse me, through Numbers, that he said, have I not saved them 10 times? So God's done at least 10 miracles at this point, okay? Not counting the 10 before he left Egypt, all right? So if you put them all, it's probably about 20. All right, so God's done a lot uh, over these past years. And so they said, we can't do it. We can't do it. It's just not possible. And Joshua and Caleb stand up. And Joshua says, he ripped his clothes, which means that was like the highest form of uh, just anger and opposition and that you're wrong. And he rent his clothes as a sign of his defense of the character of God and said, hey, God has given it to us. He has told us to go. We can surely conquer this land. We can surely do what God has commanded. And the Bible says that they were, matter of fact, they were going to pick up stones to, to, um, to stone them. They were so mad at Joshua and Caleb. They're going to stone them because they are saying, yes, we can go. Yes, they're big, but our God's bigger than their gods. <laughs> and God is on our side. We're on God's team, so to speak. And so they pick them up to stone them. And the Bible says in um, Numbers chapter 14, verse 10, and the glory of the Lord shone around. And the glory, the Shekinah glory came upon them and the people recognized this is the presence of God. And they stopped. And Moses spoke to them and Moses spoke to God and God's ready to just wipe them all out at this point because they just won't believe. But his glory shows up and they recognize, oh my goodness, God is here. God is with him. We, we should be going. We should be moving. And so they began to repent. But God's frustrated with them at this point. And if you read the rest of the story, you say, okay, we'll go now. <laughs> we'll go. You ever had your kids or somebody do like that? You tell them what to do and they don't want to do it. And then you make a compelling case and it's, it's a little too late. And they go, oh, we'll go now. I say, no, it's too late now. You could have had ice cream, but you wouldn't keep your mouth shut. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of the picture right here. So you're not really repentant. You're just scared. <laughs> You're not going because you're obedient. You're just afraid now. You're going to get a whipping. That's what you're afraid of. And so they run off without the Ark of the Covenant, without Moses, and they get the tail whipped, okay? That's what happens. And God says, okay, I'm going to forgive you, but you're not going to enter into this land. You're never going to. These spies and their families, you're not going to enter into the land. Only Joshua and Caleb. Joshua and Caleb, my two true servants. So Joshua would have been with those men looking at this city. He'd been sent out to scout. Matter of fact, I was visiting with one of our guys who was a West Point grad and served in the Afghanistan war, Brian Larson. And he was talking to me about troop leading procedures. And it's interesting. He said, you know, as I read over this text, I see the troop leading procedures. I see that they receive their mission. Then they issue the warning order. They make a tentative plan, initiate movement, and then conduct reconnaissance. That's what these men would have done. And here's Joshua again, looking at it again. And I wonder what Joshua's thinking, because this time it's all on him. He is the Moses, and he's looking at it. And he's thinking, what are we going to do now? God, I trust you, but those walls are still there. Those men are still there. God, what am I going to do? If you would, let's pick up right here in Joshua chapter 5, beginning with the 13th verse. Joshua chapter 5 with the 13th verse. 
And the Bible says right here, it says, when Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted his eyes and looked. He lifted his eyes and looked, and he said, there it is. There's the wall I saw 40 years ago. There's the city I saw 40 years ago. Maybe he was a 30-year-old man at that point. He's 70 years old now. And he knows it's time to go. He's rallied his troop. He's made the plan. He's gone through the troop-leading procedures. And now it's time to complete the plan. And then he's going to issue the order. And it's the night before. And so he looks over and he doesn't know how it's going to happen. He just knows that God's told him to take this city. And behold, a man was standing before him in his, with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went up to him and said, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So you've got to get this picture. Joshua is looking over the land. He's walked out. He's doing uh, his last bit of reconnaissance, so to speak. And he's trying to plan, how will I take this city? And he looks up and there's an imposing figure with his sword drawn. And Joshua, remember, he's 70, 75. What does Joshua do? We don't really see it so much in English, but in the Hebrew, here's what he does. He goes up to it. Here's this man who's decked out, who's large, who's ready for battle, who already has the upper hand. And Joshua goes right up to him and says, are you for us or are you for our adversaries? Who are you for? Who are you with? Are you one of our men? He probably knew he wasn't one of his men. And here's the answer he gets. No. Are you for us or for our adversaries? No. How's that for an answer? Some of us, we go, I don't want to do that. What do you do with that? He says, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. And now I have come. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. You're asking, which team am I on? Whose side am I on? You're asking the wrong question. You need to be on my team. That's the question. You need to be on my side. Don't ask me, whose team am I going to be on? Am I going to help your football team beat your football team? Are you kidding me? You just need to get on my team. This is the side you need to be on right here. This is who you need to be with. And so Joshua hears that. And by the way, who is the the angel? I I wish we had time to study this and go in depth. I'll tell you who he is. It's, It's Jesus. This is what we call a Christophany. You've probably heard of theophany, which God comes in the form of a man and the image of a man. This is probably a Christophany. And why do I say this? It's the angel of the Lord. What, if you went back and you looked at uh, Exodus chapter 23, verse 21, the angel of the Lord, God sends ahead of Moses. As a matter of fact, if you remember in Exodus chapter 3, God speaks from a burning bush. Okay, theophany. Then in, uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 23, verses 20 and 21, he said, I'm sending an angel ahead, a messenger. I'm sending one ahead whose, whose name, who is one in my name. One in my name. Now, God, angels aren't part of the name of God. It's the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of reasons we know this isn't an angel, and some people think they are. I'll tell you why we know it's not an angel. Let's keep reading right here. He says this, Now I've come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him. The first reason we know he's not an angel is because Joshua is worshipping him. And we've seen this happen before with angels. Now we say, get up! 
Revelation chapter 19, 20. Get up. <laughs> okay, you don't worship angels. You worship God. You worship Yahweh, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. But we don't worship angels. And every time we see in Scripture where somebody tries to worship an angel, they are corrected. All right? So, but this is not an angel. He worshiped him and said, what does, notice what he says right here. What does my Lord say to his servants? What does my Lord, you are Lord, say to my servants? And the commander of the army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet. for The place where you're standing is holy. Remember Exodus chapter 3, verse 5 through 6. Take off your shoes for you're standing, Moses, on holy ground. The same picture, the holiness of God has transcended to earth. The holiness of God has come into this place. And so Joshua did so. And now he receives it. He's been wondering, what am I going to do? I'm faithful. I'm ready to go, God. I'm, if that means, uh, you know, charging hell with a squirt pistol, that's what I'll do, God. But help me, Lord. And so here he gets the plan. In chapter 6, verse 1, Now Jericho was shut up inside and outside because the people of Israel. None went out, none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hands. With its king and mighty men of valor, you shall march around the city, all the men of war, going around the city once. Thus shall you do for six days. Seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horn before the ark. On the seventh day, you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. And when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, when you hear the sound of the trumpet, then all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go in, everyone straight before him. So Joshua, the son of Nun, called the priests and said, Take up the ark of the covenant, let the seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Go forward, march around the city, and let the armed men pass before the ark of the Lord. Go forward. Don't you love Joshua? He was faithful when he's 30, now he's faithful when he's 70. He was ready to fight when he was 30, and he's ready to fight when he's 70. I mean, things hadn't changed. He didn't know how God was going to do it when he was 30, and he doesn't know how he's going to do it when he's 70. He believes, and he just takes one step at a time. He moves forward. You see, he recognizes three principles here. I want to give them to you. Three principles for us being in the army of the Lord. Number one, we must recognize the commander-in-chief. He recognizes who the real commander-in-chief is. Number two, we must give up our control and obey. You see those spy, initial spies that said, wait, hey, we can't do that. What they're saying, we're still in control. And we don't think that under our control we can succeed. And they were right. But you've got to give it up and obey what God has given you. And number three, we must march, march forward in faith. You know, that had to, I'm sure a lot of people just thought that was crazy. We're going to do what? We're going to march around the city once a day for six days. And, my, and we don't have any reason to think that they knew the whole plan. Just every day they get up. Kind of march around the city. They did that. They blew the horn, marched around. I'm sure in Jericho they're starting to laugh about the third day. There they come again. Fourth day, ha, ha, bring the kids out tomorrow. You know, we're all laughing. Sixth day and then the seventh day. Here they come again. Hey, they're doing it again. And again, hey, I think something's up. And again, and again, and on the seventh time, they blew the horns, and they gave a loud shout, 
And you know what's interesting that we know from archaeology now? About that time, there was an earthquake and a fire. We know that now. What's interesting about that is archaeologists have discovered there was large amounts of grain that were left in the city. Now, what's unusual about that is that if there was a long siege, you'd eat the grain up. Or if I had attacked and captured a city, I'd take the food because that was a precious commodity. But if you remember, God said, don't take anything. And and archaeologists go, we're kind of puzzled about all the grain that was left here. We don't know. For some reason, there was a, you know, we know there was some kind of earthquake, fire. Something happened to the walls here. Maybe somebody attacked. But for some reason, they left the grain here. I know why they left the grain there. Isn't it amazing? Joshua knew that he had to recognize who the real commander was. He had to give up control and obey. And he had to march forward in faith. So my friends... Maybe you're standing up against a wall today, and there's a wall that you are encountering. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe you've been fired from your job. Maybe you're sick. Maybe you feel like you've been wronged. Maybe you're broke. Maybe you feel like the enemy has been succeeding. Maybe you just don't understand why things are like they are. Maybe you're suffering. Maybe you're scared. Here's what we know. That God is ultimately in control. And what we want is to be by his side. To be on his team. And to quit saying, God, take this away. And if you do this, then I'll serve you. God, if you give me this, then I'll do this for you. And you know what that's called? That's called conditional obedience. How would that work if a private went to general and said, Well, general, if you increase my pay and you give me a new house, now I'll go into Bible. It doesn't work that way. First of all, he wouldn't be talking to a general. But secondly, hey, no. You're in the army, and here, here's your choices. You fight or you're court-martialed. Matter of fact, I was talking to Brian said more time, or you shot. What are your options here? For us, we've got to make the choice. Are we going to trust and obey even when it seems like it's not fair, when God is not letting my team win, when I'm not winning? When the Redskins are winning, do I still trust him? Do I still believe he's sovereign and he's God? When the Yankees are winning, do I still believe him? When it seems like my friends, those people I know that are agnostic and atheists, seems like they're doing well in life. You've got to decide if you're just begging God to come bless you and be on your team, or are you going to be in the army of the Lord? You see, he's, his kingdom is not of this world. His ways are higher than ours. And he's looking at an eternal perspective. And we have to come to a place where we believe that and trust that. Or whether we're just going to play on our own team. What about you? Whose team are you on this morning? Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you that while we were, uh, Lord, still sinners, you died for us and sent grace upon us. And Lord, as the men of Nehemiah come, God, I pray that you would speak to us. And Lord, for those walls that are standing before us, I pray that we'd be willing, Father, to grow up and say, God, I believe. I believe so much, God, that I'm going to trust you no matter what. Though I lose, though I fail, though I hurt, though I suffer, yet will I trust you, as your servant Job said. Let that be true of us. And Lord, may we always say, God, I simply want to be on your side. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.